Aloha, everybody, and welcome to Aquarian Radio at AquarianRadio.com, and this is an episode of Experiencers Network, and I am your host, Janet Lesson, with my co-host, Karen Christine Patrick. Uh, Karen, are you anywhere near the bio on your the computer, or you could read the bio if not, I will do it. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not near that, I apologize. Okay, then I will read the bio, and our guest is Sherry Wild. And Sherry was living an idyllic life as a wife, mother, and business owner until 1987 when her community experienced a UFO flap that was considered one of the most active in the world. No one could have ever guessed the unbelievable turn of events that would occur over the next 18 to 24 months as Sherry was forced to accept her involvement in a phenomenon that was totally unknown to her. Faced with the indisputable evidence that she was experiencing contact with extraterrestrial beings, she was astonished to this pragmatic and the, oh, this was astonishing to this pragmatic and level-headed woman of 37. But to learn her contact had been ongoing for her entire life almost pushed her over the edge. It would have pushed me over the edge. Sherry spent the next several years of her life trying to exonerate the experiences from her mind and did her best to return to a normal life. But when heavy contact started again in late 2009, after several years of relative peace, she could no longer ignore it. Inexplicably, she found herself writing a book about the encounters as her memory opened up to the past events and the teachings these beings had imparted to her. Overcoming her fear and learning the truth of her involvement with these ultra-dimensional beings became her life goal. She now accepts the truth of these encounters and has cooperative contact on a regular basis with the beings she affectionately refers to as her guides. So we have a very extensive bio on the website, AquarianRadio.com, along with pictures of Sherry, and there's a couple of drawings I found on the Internet that she can explain. And... Um, before I bring on Sherry, Karen, is there anything that you want to say about who you are and uh, anything you want our audience to know before we bring on Sherry Wild? Oh, I'm just glad to be back on with you Friday. I've been uh, on hiatus for quite a while, most definitely moving from one part of New Mexico to another part of New Mexico. I love it here. And... Uh, I like to tell people I just came back from Mars because the part of <laughs> New Mexico I was at was the, the flat desert, and now I'm kind of in a hilly uh, area with trees. And uh found a community of other contactees and experiencers, and it's just been wonderful to be here in this community and looking forward to talking to our guests. So thank you. It, that's wonderful. I, I find that's happening everywhere. I was at a birthday party Last night, these were New Age people, but they weren't, um, you know, really into the UFO contact, the experiencer lore. But uh, my husband and I felt comfortable enough to talk to several people, and then they were saying, yes, I've had experiences as well. And the one woman said, I have hybrid children, and I never knew this part of these people's lives. I've known some of them over 20 years. So it was really an eye-opener when one becomes open about the uh, contactee experience or phenomenon and feels comfortable enough to talk about it and you start talking about it you get other people say me too me too so that was very refreshing for me last night to have that experience okay so sherry wild oops i got 
Come on, your mic, okay? One second as it turns on. Cherry, uh, you and I and, and Dr. Lisa, we all met each other in Toronto or the Toronto area. I think it was in 2016 at a conference there. So how are you doing? It's been a long time since we've uh, talked face-to-face. It has been, yeah. I, I was trying to remember when that was. That was in Canada, wasn't it, that we were at the same conference, the Experiencers Conference or something, I think? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I was um, I was pretty sick when I was up there. I remember that. Um, yeah, I remember so, really well. How are you doing now? Much better. Um, I'm I'm getting a little bit stronger every day, and uh, I'm I'm way better than I was. Uh, that was probably I was probably just about at my worst when I was up there. Um, but uh-huh. I've been uh, doing a lot of a lot of um, cleansing to get the poison out of my body, and I'm still I'm still doing that now. Um, even constantly doing that, trying to get out the last remnants of the poison, and um, just. To making sure that I'm eating clean and getting lots of uh, sunshine and walking exercise. I'm able to walk again. I wasn't able to walk for a while. So I'm slowly coming back, making my way back. So I'm, I'm happy with that. Yes, and then we saw, I don't know what year it was, we saw each other at Contact in the Desert one year, but it right. wasn't just past, it was the year before. I think so, because last year I had to cancel. I was I was too sick to, to go out for it. So right. yeah, so it's it's good. It's it's getting better. Definitely getting better. And I didn't think I didn't think I would get come this far back from it. To tell you the truth, I just thought I would continue to deteriorate. But I'm I'm oh. happy. Yeah, I've had lots and lots of help. Lots of help. I've had people doing healing on me. I've had some phenomenal healing experiences, and um, and then people who helped me with recommending I mean it's just been miracle after miracle people show up at just the right time and make a recommendation and I I just know that I'm meant to, to follow that advice and so I do and and it's just been it's been amazing it's it's just been amazing so you know there's always some good that comes out of everything so yeah you know, that's Somebody. that's true yeah <laughs> I'm gonna sneeze hold on <laughs> don't you hate you get that sensation you're gonna sneak. So what I would like this is a whole new audience and this is gonna end up on uh, about ten different platforms and up on YouTube. So this is a like kind of a historical record. I know you've said this over and over, but uh if we can do some of what the, your story is and we'll recommend everybody buys the book and uh, read it. I have a copy I'm reading I, I always give it to my husband first because he wants to read everything first. So I said, okay, give it to me when you're done. <laughs> but, uh, you have a very interesting story. Would you like to start and tell our listening audience uh, your story? And then uh, after about 15 minutes or so, uh, Karen and I will probably be waving our little invisible hands that you can't see. So if you get to a point where you want to ask us, do you have any questions or feedback, then that'll make it flow really smooth. And then we can go on to the next part, okay? Does that okay. work for you? Sure, Excellent. sure. Okay, so, take it away. Okay, my story. Um, well, I guess I'll start, I will start with the story that, um, of the uh, encounter that I had that opened the door to, to my memories. And that occurred when I was 17 years old. And if anybody's 
heard me talk before. They've heard this story. I've, I've told it a million times. So I was 17 years old, and I was going over to my girlfriend's house. We were going to go shopping together. The thing of it is is that I didn't know I was going to leave to go over to meet with her until the last minute because my parents owned a motel, and my job was to clean the rooms. But And I didn't think my mother would let me take the day off, but she gave me the day off um, after, after I was done doing a couple rooms. She told me I could leave and head over to my girlfriend Vicky's house. So I'm heading over to her house. She lived about 15 minutes away, and I'm about five minutes away from her place. I was supposed to be there by 10 o'clock. We had a, an arrangement that we made. I would be there by 10 in the morning, and um, if I wasn't there by 10 o'clock, then they, were, they should just go without me because I was pretty sure I wasn't going to be able to go. But I was going to make it there by 10 o'clock. And uh, I'm driving along a straightaway, and all of a sudden my car, I was driving a little Beetle, a VW Beetle bug car, and um, it just stopped. It just, the motor just went dead on it. And I couldn't figure out what was going on, and I did all the things I knew to do. I, I put the clutch in, and I did this thing they call pop the clutch, and that didn't work. And I... Um, I tried turning the key in the ignition. That didn't work. And right about this time, I see, at the same time, I see these guys standing in the road up ahead of me. There were three or four of them. I think there were, were there four of them, I think? I can't remember now. And um, I thought that was strange, but I didn't pay a lot of attention until my car started to slow down considerably. I was going up a little incline. And one of the men, I noticed one of the men stepped out into my lane of traffic. I thought that was really a strange thing for him to do, and I was nervous about it because I was gonna, my car was going to stop if I couldn't get it started pretty soon, and it didn't look like it was going to start. And he was standing right in my lane of traffic, and then I saw him put his hand up, as if like, like, as if like you know, saying me, telling me to stop, which was fine. My car actually just rolled to a stop right at his feet. I realized that he was not human and when he said these words to me he, he, he said my name he said sherry we've been waiting for you and that just terrified me somehow i had the presence of mind i rolled up my window because i had had it down part way i rolled up my window and i reached over i locked both doors and then i put my arms uh, my hands on the steering wheel across crossing each other on the steering wheel and I put my head down on my arms because I didn't want to look at them. I was so scared. I didn't know what else to do. I was trapped. And um, he kept talking to me, telling me to look at him. And I just was shaking. I was just terrified. And eventually I felt something brush against my forearm and I opened my eyes to see this grayish tan claw thing um, come across and it wrapped its long fingers around my right forearm. And then another hand came in and wrapped around my other arm. And they pulled me out of the car. I had been shaking, just shaking like a leaf. And as soon as they touched me, I, at least that stopped. I stopped shaking and I calmed down immediately. They pulled me out of the car and I'm standing there and they got these two little guys standing on each side of me with their vice-like grip a hold of me. And the guy who had been standing out in front of my car started talking to me. And we had a conversation. And I remember studying him and looking at him. 
and taking it all in and feeling like I knew him. I knew his, I felt like I knew his voice more than anything. And then all of a sudden he says, okay, we have work to do. There's work to be done. That's what he said. And he turned quickly and he, and he walked away really fast. And I turned to see where he was walking to, where he was going, and I saw this beautiful silver ship, just like out of a movie. <laughs> it was sitting out in the field. And that's where he was going. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And it's like a part of me remembered, and I knew what was going to happen. And I didn't want to – I loved the ship. I wanted to stand there and look at it, but I didn't want to go over and and go into it. I knew I was going to have to. The two guys on each side of me started walking, and I tried to walk fast to keep up with them, but I couldn't keep up with them. And eventually I just gave up and let them drag me. They dragged me across the field. As we got closer to the ship, I noticed – another human was standing there, a woman. She was wearing kind of a long, loose-fitting dress of some sort, just kind of baggy and hung on her. And as we got closer and closer, I could see, I realized that she wasn't human, and she looked really familiar to me. And um, she helped me up into the ship. She told me I had to go on board, and I went up into the ship, and it was a steep step, not even steps, it was like a ramp to get up into it. I go into the ship, and, of course, it's very cold in the ships. It's always cold in the ships, and I start to shake again. And um, she kind of, kind of like, maneuvered me into this room, this little room. Uh, it was where the, actually where, the, where they pilot the ship. And she took me in there, and she helped me to get undressed. And I resisted, and she told me there was no sense in resisting, that I, I knew that I had to go through this uh, physical had to go out and lay on that little cold slab of a table, which I did. And by this time, the other guys were in the ship, and um, the main guy, he proceeded to do a physical on me. And he talked to me all the while he was doing that. And he eventually he harvested my eggs, which really upset me. And I, uh, I protested that. But he explained to me that it was okay. And... Uh, they eventually How did you done, they were hmm? harvesting eggs? What did they do? To me, all the while he was walking around the table doing things, and he was taking, he would tell me what he was doing. He he did a scraping on my arms, and he said, I'm taking some of your um, cells. Uh, he would just explain, just in a quiet voice, he was just talking as to what he was doing. And then at one point, he reached up above him. It was just like a um, in a um, surgical uh, room where they have the lights up above and they have sometimes instruments. He, there, it was up above this long um, needle and type thing and he reached up and he pulled that down and then he told me that that's what he was going to do. He said, I'm going to extract some of your eggs and he said, it won't hurt, you won't feel anything at all. And um, that's when I lost it and I and he, he got very um, concerned and he wanted to know why was I so upset about this and I said, because I wanted to have children and he said you will have children and he explained to me that my body would make more eggs now somebody called me on that recently they said actually our body doesn't make more eggs and I said well that's what he told me and that's all I know well I went online after that and it has just been recently apparently discovered that our body does produce more eggs and so that was something that yeah he, he he knew that back then so so, yeah, so he it. took so he took 
the needle? Did he put it? Where did he insert it into your body? Um, down right. It looked like it went in right to the about um, to the lower right, maybe, of my um, belly button, my navel. Okay. That's where okay. it went. But I, yeah, um, and it, he was right. I felt a little pressure, but I didn't feel I didn't feel any pain. I watched this substance go up through the um it was a clear plastic tube and I watched it go up through there. When he did it, the other little guys, there were the other three little guys who were with him were all busy doing things in the ship and they were kind of scurrying around doing stuff and um when he did that procedure they stopped and there was like an air of expectation. You could just feel it. And he went back they went back into the hallway, the three little guys um, I was in the, this main big room when you first come into the ship. They went back into the hallway, and I couldn't see because the table was set off center of the room I was in, and so I couldn't see what they were looking at. They were facing the wall to my left, and the wall is I could see the wall going down the hallway into the right. There were what appeared to be windows or monitors of some sort, so I figured they had the same thing that they were looking at. They must have been looking at some kind of a monitor. So they stood there, the three of them stood looking at that. And the guy, the main guy who extracted the eggs, he was clicking away on what I now know is a computer. Back then I didn't, it was 1968 when this, was, when this happened and uh, we didn't have computers then, but he was um, doing something with something wow. that had like a like a TV, it looked like a TV screen to me. In terms of what I know is that so he went to the one side, that was probably the uh, the side where you were ovulating that month, so they knew your cycle. Um, did they ever extract a baby? No. Or So they weren't impregnating you and taking the babies, they were just taking your eggs directly. They were taking my eggs directly, and they they have lots and lots of them. I have lots of hybrid children, and um, they have lots of eggs in storage from me. They took tons of eggs from me, yeah. But I never, what to the- my knowledge, was pregnant and and went through that. I never was aware of that happening. Well, they used to, um, I think, they would they, you know, take the material, the admixture mm-hmm. of the, the egg, and they would. it would also include material from other it wasn't just two parents. It wasn't just me right. out on bed. It could be a mixture of DNA from different species and whatever. And they would put that in, but they would never let me uh, miss a period. They would come back and extract it. And I'm missing the piece on how they extracted it, but I knew they were doing oh. it. So oh, they blocked yeah. uh, where they were getting it, if they were going vaginally or uh, through oh. the... <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't know. It was very tiny yeah. if I hadn't even... Period. Um, mm-hmm. So that was one question I had. So yours was, but I the same thing. I have. I mean, literally, we could have millions because they can make. I know. Uh, it was very, I know. They, uh, one one of my uh, girlfriends who was aware of what was going on, she said, she it was like a psychic kit. She goes, I said, oh, I wonder how many kids I have. Do I have three or four? She says, no, you have a whole village up there. <laughs> it was like, yeah. What? Yeah. But you. Put, in the same program. Now, uh, did they tell you which species you were being combined with, or um, human to human for the most part, with um, with enhancements of uh, you know 
to eat the ET enhancements that they wanted to do. But we were doing, I was part of the program that was human to human because it was um, to reseed a planet because it was thought, the timeline at that time showed that the planet was going to be washed clear of humanity, that Earth was going to go through the ascension, but humanity was not going to make it at that time. So we were concerned with preserving the human biological entity. So that's why I volunteered for the hybrid program to, you know, so that we would have for reseeding a new planet with the humans so they could continue on with their journey. So I, I was mostly... Part of- hmm? Human the human plus the uh, Anunnaki. Hold on one second. My husband's going to make noise. <laughs> okay. Uh, for enhancing me with some Anunnaki or tall white. It was all this type of humanoid species. It wasn't to. The, I'm not, they, they told me very clear you're not in the gray program. You're in okay. the human and Anunnaki program, which mm-hmm. was. Uh, and I, Short, so it was. They, uh, they were. My children are much taller than I am, and mm-hmm. oh, they were getting sperm. Uh, like I, I started experiment with experimenting with sex at a young age. Um, not that I'm proud of, but I, I realized that it was kind of like I was being uh, pushed in that direction on a subconscious level. And mm-hmm. the, and I, what's that all about? Why that's not my mor- moral standards. I didn't have a lot of partners, but I did had more that made me comfortable. Because mm-hmm. I thought I'd marry and be married for my whole life with one partner, and they said, "Oh well, you you need to diversify the sperm, and we're we're retrieving it from inside your uh, vaginal." Oh really? That's the best. Oh yes. Yeah. Huh. And then they were used, and so all my lovers that I've had in the world, <laughs> you guys have hybrid children, probably. So oh, anyway, that's, that's how they did. I didn't. They didn't do yeah. that it with me. They just took uh, my ova and they mixed it on the ship, you know, and created. I have forty-seven children, but I do have one of mine is a, a, um, an ET to human. I mean, there there was one that I met that was. So it, I, apparently they didn't. You know, the, at least one time they didn't do human to human, but for the most part they did. So, I'm pretty sure they whatever they damn well please <laughs> what they have yeah. your, uh-huh. your your DNA. So I, it doesn't matter. It's fine, whatever they mixed it with, but they, they did convey that information. And I have one more question, and I'll go back to your story. How many fingers did the, the it was the gray-type species, have? Um, that's a good question. Um, you know, my, my memory is getting foggier and foggier the further I distanced myself from um, when I wrote the book, when all the recall came back. Um, I believe... There and I'd have to check the book to see. I think I have it in the book. I think it, I think they had five, five. They were um, very long. Yeah. No, I'm going to recant that. I'm going to say four. I think it was four. I think it was four. Yeah. 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 They had four. They didn't have three. I know that it was four. Yeah. Pretty sure. Yeah. I had four. Mm-hmm. They had three. There's like an opposing thumb, and the, yes. they were very very. Um, and mine, the ones that were touched me, they were kind of bulbous at the end. It was like round yes. at the end. Yes, that I remember that. Yep. All right. Very long. They could wrap it all the way around. I mean, I, I, I should know this by memory because I have, I've had those finger bruises. Did you ever get those? Because they, they so, they wrap their fingers around you so tight, and you get those four prints on you, like in three very ah. strong. Yeah, those fingerprint bruises on your forearm or wherever it is that they're grabbing you. So, 
Yeah, yeah I remember looking down, and they were carrying me like a surfboard, and, and I just remember the hands, the fingers wrapping it all the way around. I could never quite describe how they could wrap it. It's like, oh. Yeah. It yeah. Does. They, they, don't they, they wrap all the way around like that? There's, and so there's, it's very long fingers. Yeah, very long. Yeah, they're really weird, weird, weird looking people. That's for sure. They don't. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't like me saying that. You know. First of all, he explains that that's not his real form. He, that's just a container that he wears because he's actually an etheric being. And then, second of all, he he goes to me once. Um, he he said to me because I was on Veritas Radio with um, Mel Fabregas, and and Mel said, "Well, if they scare you so much, Sherry, when they come to get you, and that's only a container, why don't they put on a human body so they don't scare you so much?" And I said. That's a great question. And he said, well, why don't you ask him that? And I said, I'm going to. So I did. And I said, you know, uh-huh. why don't you do it? And I went through all that. And he, and he said, well, because the, they use this, what they call the Zeta suit. He said a lot of us use those because it's, very, it's highly functional is what he said. And he said it works really well and it's simple. The human body is too complex and it's not as easy and it wouldn't work as well and blah, blah, blah. And then he looks at me and he goes, so I scare you, huh? <laughs> I said, yeah, you know you do. I'm always scared. Every, the first time I see you, I'm always scared at first. And he goes, well, Sherry, have you ever looked in a mirror? And I said, excuse me? And he said, have you ever looked in a mirror? And I said, well, what are you getting at? And he goes, well, when you do that thing that you call smile, he said, it looks like you're going to eat us. He said, that terrifies us. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I get you. Point well taken. It's all in the eyes of the you know, beholder. So, But anyway, um, yeah. So back back to my story. So to that, then we'll go what? back to the story. So, um, so one time I was at a meeting with a hundred thousand individual species, but they were all within the humanoid range. So they they were they were testing me over time to see you know how open minded I could get where I wouldn't be afraid of things. You know. Oh and really? So they kept it to more and more species, and then they pulled me in front of this whole like the United Nations of, of, you know, like the UN, but it was, there were no two species alike. And I asked them, how much, 100,000, and they're all unique. There's no two uh, representatives of the same species. They're all from all different planets. And then they said, well, you think that's something, that's only a teeny, teeny, tiny representation of the species in the cosmos. But these are the ones that could, um, be in front of and not be terrified. Hold on, I gotta close the door. The storm is coming. Keep talking. Me keep talking? Okay. Okay, I'll go back to my story. So, um where was I? Okay, he extracted the egg from me. Eggs from me and um and then the exam was over and I was able I was allowed to get dressed and by this time I was feeling really comfortable. Uh he asked me if I had any questions, well, first of all, he asked me if he could ask me some questions. And I said, sure. And his first question to me, and this has always been interesting to me because it, it's always his first question to me when he gets me on the ship. He always wants to know, Sherry, are you happy? And I thought that was just a weird, that was a really weird question, but that's what he asked me. And um, and we talked. He asked me a lot of things about the Vietnam War and about our president and just all kinds of different things. Wanted to know if I was still a virgin. He asked me that, I remember. And they were very protective of that aspect of my life, for sure. For sure. And um, I was thinking the other day, for some reason I started thinking about this. Um, when I was out, I was dating the man who eventually was going to be my husband. And I was, I was young. We started seeing each other when I was about 18, I think. 
and we got married at 19. So yeah, I would have um, been dating him. We went parking one night on a back road, and I I think they were afraid things were going to get out of hand because they showed up, and they and this guy in a cape and in a hooded cape, he came. I remember my uh, future husband saw him out of the the window out the back window and just terrified. He never got over that because he was walking very quickly toward the car. And I think he was going to, well, his whole intention was to interrupt what we were, <laughs> where we were headed, right? I think, you know. So, so anyway. Well, that's interesting. I'm sorry to interrupt, but this is like, these are triggering things for me. So uh-huh. one time at a, a very um, a, a dark-skinned lover of a, of a different race, you know, human race, mm-hmm. and at all. This is this is. Uh, I was in my forties and I was still producing eggs. And they took me and they. Oh, uh, I said, what's going on? You know, it was something about. Uh, they wanted to choose the and it sounds it sounds racist and it makes me it it really upset me and because I I really like this man and it's like why are you bothering me? But I was part of a certain breeding program, and they only wanted me to be breeding with certain people that looked a certain way. Or it was like they really? selected. Huh. And uh, I remember, um, uh, what was her name in the '60s? The psychic in the '60s to um, Reagan. Um, oh, Sylvia Brown, or was that her name, Jean, Sylvia Brown? Jane Dixon. She oh, announced yeah, on yeah, the. Yeah. Yes. When I was going, I was going to school. We had those little transistor radios, right? And she, there was an announcement that Jean Dixon says that the children are being taken up on UFOs, and they're being matched with other children for this breeding program. And that just kind of wow. registered in the back of my mind. I thought it was very interesting that Jean Dixon was talking about, uh, you know, children being abducted. So then years later, I have, I am in, I'm in Honolulu, and I found. A picture. I was looking through my boyfriend's pictures, and then I saw a picture of him as a child, and I and I just dropped <laughs> dropped it. I went, "Oh my God! I saw that child. I, I know oh, that child. We were wow. we out together, like so. It was some kind of matchmaking, and here we are making love. Now I knew when I finally got married, I was still a virgin, so I knew I hadn't lost. They hadn't done that part, but you know they let you get close, but they don't let you copulate, right? And then yeah. another, like, a year later, there was a second person. I broke up with that person. I was with another, a new partner. The same thing happened when I was looking through his his pictures. I went, wow, they, they matched me up with this one, too, because I knew those little boys. I had seen them. It was like they were, you know, it was like that. Once you see a, a picture, then all of a sudden you're there, right? You see a picture, mm-hmm. and then it's, oh, I'm there. And I was back on the ship, and all the memories were flooded in. And I remember, you know, hanging out with this kid and talking to him. And it's like, wow. So they wow. they had picked out for me that they wanted me to be with. It may not have been race, but it was certain people they wanted me to be with. Yes, that's true. So, that's true. They they have dictated, they did the same thing in my life. They They dictated who I would marry. And when I would get pregnant, absolutely insisted on the exact night and time, you know, very insistent that night that I get pregnant. And um, and it didn't make any sense. We were so young when we got married. I never wanted to get married that young. But you just, you, when you come in as part of a volunteer program like this, you don't really have any choice. And it's hard to explain because people don't understand how somebody can take over your life. But the influences are very strong. And 
Now, I was just the opposite. Now, they, they told me after my marriage ended, uh, which it came undone during this whole um, uh, recognition that I was part of this whole program, and uh, it was too hard on my husband and, and put the strain on our marriage, but it was the marriage was ending anyway of its own accord. But it was time, and it was all part of the plan. So I spent you know, most of my adult life single, which I really enjoyed and really liked, but they they told me who I, every time they picked out who I was going to, you know, who I was going to be involved with. And at one point they told me I was now going to be dating only black men. And, oh. I, and I thought that, and I thought that was really strange. And I said, why, why? I said, why are you telling me that? I said, what, what, I don't get that. And they just said, they, well, they didn't say anything. They just said, it's just time. And I did. I I dated exclusively black men for about three years or so. And I tell you, that was really educational for me. I mean, I grew up in rural Wisconsin and didn't really have much exposure, you know, to that sort of, you know, to, to interracial dating. Um, didn't have any black kids go to my school or anything like that. And so it was quite eye-opening. I, I dated some wonderful men and learned a lot from them. I learned a, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about prejudice and <laughs> the way people will yeah. look at you sometimes. And, um, yeah, so it was pretty interesting because, yeah, they definitely were in yeah. charge of my they're very much in charge of my of my love life. Totally in charge of it. They tell me, they, I'm just told, and I just it yeah. just goes the way that it goes. And people well, don't get that. That correlates. That correlates with yeah. my information uh-huh. too. So yeah. so it was the opposite. I started I started uh, with the, I guess it was the timing. So I met uh, my first boyfriend. He pursued me. He was 12 years old. And I was 13, and I said, "I don't want to have sex at this young age." And we oh we, we played sexually. I really didn't have like full on lovemaking, but there was still you know sexual play. But then um, then they directed. It was like I had no break in between. I would go from one relationship to another. I know. And I was I know. that Me cute, too. but it was like yeah. it was just the whole thing was orchestrated, and it was it was like. Um, uh, it, it was different uh, nationalities. So this, the first one mm-hmm. was uh, the blonde, blue-eyed, right? And then the next one was um, Italian. And then, <laughs> and, and so mm-hmm. when I was 18, I had this dream, and it said, You're, you are to make love with at least one of every race, every human race in your lifetime. I went, wow. And uh, so, it, like you said, it was, it was about racism. It was like moving past that. But... Yeah. It was definitely in their timing. So when when I um, the young man that I was uh, making love with was a very dark skinned Mexican Mayan Incan, he was very magical person, very very spiritual, and mm-hmm. um, and then we made love. I felt like I got pregnant. Now they never let me have a live birth, never, never. Mm-hmm. And then they took it, and then we did mm-hmm. it again the next month. That I got pregnant, they took it, and they were so upset with me. Anyway, I won't go into what happened after that. But mm-hmm. I, I'm a rebel, and I always say, yeah, oh, yeah, and then I do what I want within yeah. it. But who knows what I want? Maybe it's all just to get me to go in the direction that they want me to go, and it's they're manipulating me, and it's not really my free will. Who knows? But there's definitely – this is the first person I've talked to that uh, you were orchestrated into your relationships. Yeah, I was. I was they t- yeah, they told me – the little bit I know about it is um, that they told me at the time of when I was going through my divorce, they told me we we're going to be studying the uh, different different human the the love 
they're going to be studying the love relationships, and they're going to be studying there's family love, and then there's um, the romantic love. And they so we're going to be watching um, now the, the romantic love and how it evolves and and all that. And they just so that's how it went. They just I just had a series of relationships, and it was very pleasant. They were all really great guys, and but it's like. I wasn't allowed to spend more than like usually three years, two and a half, three years maybe or so uh, with most of these guys. And I I could have been very happy to spend my entire life with probably any of them because they were just all really great men. But I, I just kept having to go on to the next one. And, and I, I tell you, it was confusing to me because there was one guy in particular that I, I really wanted to wanted to marry and settle down with. And I, I just wasn't allowed to, and it caused such conflict in me because I was being pushed to end the relationship. And it was, it was pretty bad. It was hard on him. It was hard on me. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know. I kept, what I would say to him was that I remember saying to him, I know that I love you deep down inside, but I can't seem to get to that. I can't seem to access that love. It's like I, it's out of reach for me. And because I can't access it, you know, we need to end the relationship. And it was just, it was a stupid reason, but I, I didn't know how else to put it. And that's and when I look back on it, now that I have clear understanding of what my life was about, it makes sense. I did love him, but I wasn't allowed to, to feel that or, you know, to any great, you know, to any great length and, and actually keep our relationship intact. So I don't know. It's a different life that we live. And if people, you know, people listening to this, it's, it might sound really so too bizarre. It might be too far over the edge for them or depending on their own experiences, but that's how it went for me. And it was, it was strange. They, they protected certain parts. I mean, they, I definitely was meant to stay a virgin until I got married and they were very protective of that aspect of my life. And, um, that is so interesting. Yeah. And, and then yeah. finally when I, so for me, they wanted me to be, Married. Yeah, the opposite. Oh, it sounds like but they wanted you to, I mean, you started at such a young age and I was, I was just the opposite. They kept me very sheltered and protected. I mean, to the point where I remember once, I mean, we're really getting off on something different here, but, but I've never taught, I've never shared any of this. I don't think with anybody, but I like, this is just one example of how they kept me sheltered. They, I remember being in high school. I think I was a sophomore or junior and in the library and some classmates, some boys, they start, they were passing around a Polaroid picture. Well, they had, you know, like boys do and how they can be so mean. They had taken a, one of a guy, um, a, a classmate and they had held him down and they had taken a picture of a certain part of his body. They took his clothes off and, and they were passing that picture around. Well, I was very naive and innocent that picture came around to me and I had no clue what I was looking at. Well, they, it was totally scrambled. They did not, they did not even want me seeing that they wanted me being very, very innocent. So, I mean, that's just one example. I mean, there were other times too, where I just, I was blocked and I was not allowed to know or see or, or do too much. So it was very strange, very strange. Why they were like that. I don't know. Yeah, and it is a puzzle, and it wasn't, I mean, I was supposed to be good. I was, I was supposed to be the good girl. So even within mm-hmm. that, they gave me that you're in love. And uh, mm-hmm. so there I was, 13, and I was in love. And the whole thing was like, this is going to be 
your partner for the rest of your life. But there was a part of me, it was like an experiment. And it's like, I can't, I can't marry the, the, the boy I met at 13. Yeah. That will be the only relationship for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. and, but they allowed me to break up with him because their ultimate experiment was having all the, this different DNA that they would mix and match mm-hmm. at easy disposal. Mm-hmm. They didn't have, go abduct these people and have, you know, that that work for them. I was doing the work for them. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. taking on a new partner. Well, is yeah. it, I mean, I've come to, to the, I think I get peace of mind by by understanding, you know, there's a duality that's happening. There's, there's an aspect of me that's there on the ship with them. I mean, do you feel that too, Janet? That it's oh, yes. actually Yeah, it, so it's not really... I mean, I, I want to change the terminology a little bit here because otherwise it kind of puts us in the role of victim. I mean, it's really yeah. an aspect of ourselves on the ship because we volunteered to come, or at least in my understanding, so I won't speak to you, but in my understanding of, of what I know to be true for me, I volunteered to come here. That's my family. I, you know, it was all laid out ahead of time how this was going to play out. And so if it's not another aspect, aspect of me, at least it's, it's, part, it's my family who's there helping to guide and, and make my life go the way that I understood and agreed to have it go before I came here. So none of this is really going against my will. It's just that I'm, we're behind the veil and I don't remember, you know, all of the agreements, but more and more I'm starting to remember them. And this is one of them that I had, which this is how my life was going to go. And to be part of this I, program. I yeah. So it, it takes I the agree. idea of yeah, being a victim out. I don't like the idea of portraying myself as a victim because I'm not. So, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not. I, I, I came in here. See, I don't have the same bias and prejudice and uh, that most people. I don't think that humanity is really monogamous, no matter what your moral structure is, because when you look mm-hmm. at the hospitals, one out of three is uh, the family, that uh, the father that's listed on the birth certificate. And yeah. if we were really monogamous, we would be like some of the animal species that mate for life. But there's there's only a few, very few on this whole planet, uh, animal species that mate for life. So it's a rarity, not the, the norm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. humanity is very much the same. So... Um, no, I I am aware that there's a book out by Susie Hansen about the dual soul connection. And oh yeah. I yeah. have um, many species that I'm connected to, and I simultaneously exist on many, you know, right. planets and spheres and dimensions. The whole thing, I've come to that awareness, and I'm not unique. Any one of us, any one of you listening out there, could come to the awareness of your multidimensional self right. and where you're existing. I'm also in the past and I'm in the future, you know? Like right. Time is an illusion. Yeah. Right. Okay, back to right. you. This is fascinating. Thanks for going a little bit outside of your box into because <laughs> this is what yeah. we do. We connect the dots and we get the bigger and bigger picture every show we do. So mm-hmm. go ahead. Right. Thank you. Okay. Yes. So um so he asked me a bunch of questions and things, and then he um, he wanted to know if I had questions. And my first question to him was, uh, you know, can I go for a ride in the ship again? I wanted to be taken up. I loved going up on the ship, and um, I always ask for that. And he just smiled and said that, um, you know, not now, but we'll be we'll be by to pick you up very soon, which they did. Probably two nights later, they picked me up um, in a, one of the big ships, the ship I was in that day. With them, it was a little scout ship, and um, but they came back for me, 
um, at my girl at my girlfriend's house. I was actually spending the night, and they came and picked me up and took me. But anyway, we talked for a while, and then I remember him saying that, "Okay, we've kept you too long. You're probably going to get sick." And he motioned to one of the guys, the other little guys, to bring over this this drink, which um, they did, and uh, I drank down that whole concoction because I knew I some a part of me knew what it was going to be like if I didn't. If I couldn't couldn't um, treat it, I was going to get like flu-like symptoms. And uh, I tell you, I actually did get sick later that day. I, I ended up going to, into the city with my girlfriend, and I couldn't go shopping. I ended up laying in the car all afternoon because I was nauseous and sick because of the difference in our frequencies, you know. And so I have learned that if I stay for more than an hour and 40 or hour and 45 minutes with them on the ship, um, like that, I will get sick. If I go with them, if I go with them in the big ship, if we go out in the space, if we go on the, the rendezvous ships or any of the, the mother ship or any of the big ships, that's a different story. I can be with them forever on that and I won't get sick because it's more acclimated for some reason or I acclimate to it or something. I don't know what the difference mm-hmm. is, but I don't get sick on that. But anyway, um, so it was time for me to leave. I'd been there for two hours and, um, we walked out of the ship, and he was walking me back to my car. And as we walked back to the car, he said, now, as usual, Cherry, you know, we're going to um, wipe your memory clean. You won't remember any of this. And I just stopped. He was walking. He was walking real fast. And I, was, I was kind of running to keep up with him. And I just stopped dead. And he took, you know, he went a little ways before he realized I wasn't next to him. And he turned around, and he said, and he just looked, yeah, he just looked at me. And he said, what's what's wrong or what's the problem or something. And I said, stop doing that. And he said, what? And I said, stop wiping my memory. I said, I want to remember this. And so we got into a little thing about that. He was amused by it. He didn't argue with me. They don't argue. Um, but he he uh, was amused by my saying that I was going to remember. And I just got into the car when he put me in the car. And he said, okay, you're going to start forgetting now. And I just said, I said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. So as I pulled away, I felt the memory start to fall apart in my mind. I mean, just big chunks of it were dropping away to where I couldn't remember. I was confused all of a sudden, and I thought, what, what am I doing? Where am I going? And then I, and I, what was I just doing now, and who was I talking to? And I turned around, and I looked, and I could still see the ship sitting there, but I couldn't see him. And that's when I realized he, he was wiping my memory. I mean, it was, it was disappearing. So I just... Oh. Said to my, I just start repeating to myself, you know, I think I said Martians or little men or something like that. And I just repeated that all the way to my girlfriend's house, even though I'd forget. And I'd be like, why am I saying that? And then I'd be like, oh, yeah, now I remember. And then I'd start saying it again. So when I walked into her house, the first thing I noticed when I walked in was the clock straight up noon. And she came running down the stairs, my girlfriend, Vicki, and she yelled at me. And she said, you know, where have you been? She said, you're just lucky that the cows got out. We only just now got them in. Otherwise, we would have left without you. And so they had a two-hour delay. And um, that's when I said to her, I said, I said, Martians or little spacemen and spaceship or something. And, oh, I, wow. and, I, yeah, and I was able to remember. And I asked her to come back with me to meet them. And she just laughed like a nervous laugh. And uh, I didn't remember saying that. She remembered it years later when they investigated my case. And she told him that I had said that, and that, 
I was fascinated by that because what, what you said, but then I started to put the pieces together. She remembered a lot of my experiences that I didn't remember um, because I was blocked, but she recalled me many times, you know, coming back into bed in the middle of the night after disappearing or telling her that they were coming for me and she should try to, you know, help protect me and things like that, but I didn't have any recall of any of that. So, wow. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, that was one night, Janet. It was really interesting because I was just as fascinated as anybody when she met with Don Schmidt, who was my investigator, and he was talking to her and asking her different questions. She offered up this one time when we were babysitting her nephew, and we were together, and all of a sudden, I guess, we were watching Johnny Carson, and all of a sudden uh-huh. I jumped up and, and I said, I said, Vicki, you have to hide me. I said, they're coming for me. She said, who? And she said, I looked bewildered, and I said, I, I don't know, but they're coming. You need to protect me. And I started one, running frantically through the house. It was an itty-bitty little house, so there was nowhere to hide. Oh. And we, we ended up, we went into her, her sister's bedroom, into the bed, and I put Vicky in front of me, and I was pressed up against the wall. And we, we both started to hear this, that sound, you know, that vibration kind of sound. Uh-huh. That whoop, whoop, yeah, that sound. When they yeah. come with the big when they come with the big ship, which so they were there and I knew it and I remember thinking they have to go through Vicky to get to me and then at the then at my very last spot before I blacked out was wait a minute I'm up against the wall they're going to just reach in through the wall and get me <laughs> and which they did and um and I was gone well Vicky remembers she remembered um the sound and then she fell asleep she just blacked oh, out she yeah. fell asleep. But then she woke up, and I was gone. She woke up, and she turned around, and I wasn't there. I was gone. And she made note of that, and then she fell back asleep, which is unusual. So they must have brought her up out, which dot, they told me later that they do that they would do that so that I would have what they he calls them benchmarks. Because I'd say, why, do you, why did you drop me in the pig pen that one time? Why did you do that? Why did you do this? You know, why did I have little, these little memories here and there? And he said, oh, those are benchmarks. So that when the day came and you started to have recall of your experiences, you would have conscious recall that would, you know, validate that this really is real because you said you're very skeptical and you don't trust in any of it. You mark it all up to dreams. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I do. So let me just say that again. So they wanted you to eventually recall and uh-huh. write the book. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the, Writing the book was part of the plan from the beginning, and the book was, I mean, it came through me. I, they, it, it came through me. They dictated that book. I did not, I didn't have that much recall of my experiences, and I don't have great recall even now, but as the book was coming out of me, I was fascinated every day to see, you know, the way they put it in order to try to, because I had a friend of mine who's a, an author, a writer, and she interviewed me for hours and hours and hours on tape, and she was going to write my story and she couldn't figure out how to do it. And it is, it's cumbersome, you know, because it spans my whole right. lifetime and, and it's difficult, but I, I was fascinated by the way they did it. They, they made it make sense pretty, pretty much. So yeah, I was, it was did they all do it sequentially or did they do it through flashbacks? flashbacks? They did it through uh, sequential. It just came out of me sequentially pretty much. And, uh-huh. um, so my story, it starts from when I'm a little girl, and it kind of goes through somewhat. But then I, but then I, but then I, let's see. But I'm, I'm as I'm telling the story, I'm, I'm actually just talking to you, and I'm telling the stories 
you know, but then I, I get into that moment at times. But it seems to flow. It seems to flow better than it. I couldn't have done it that way. I couldn't have. I couldn't have come up with doing it that way. You know, they definitely wow. took control. Yeah, because when I wrote the book, I mean, I, I wasn't aware that I was writing the book until I was actually already well, you know, well into it. And I, I came to, and I was typing away on the computer, and and I was like, what the hell? You know, it was like I woke up out of sleep and. I didn't know where I was, didn't know how I got there. I was just sitting there typing away, and, and I looked at the page on the computer screen, and I had never used the program Word before. I had only ever used my computer just for my work and um, and emails and that sort of thing, and I had never been, been into Word before. And there I was writing, and I started to read it, and I was like, oh, no, I'm not doing this. I'm not telling this story. And he said, it is time. And I said, I don't care. Wow. I'm not telling it. Yeah, and he said, it is time, Sherry. And I said, no, I'm not doing this. And he said, it is time. <laughs> and you don't say no to him, you know? You just don't. And, no? and then pre- yeah. pretty soon I got caught up into it, and I just I enjoyed it. I just, every day, and it came out real fast. It was real easy to do. And it just came out of me. So, interesting. I want to take, uh, interrupt this. It's a wonderful flow, and we'll go back to it. But uh, poor Karen's over there waiting <laughs> Uh, a spell here. Oh, no, uh, I'm, I'm a very Sherry. patient person, and, and I've been actually enjoying myself just listening uh, to the story. And, I, it, you know, what uh, kind of is in my mind is that, um, you know, uh, while I was off the Internet, you know, and just had my phone to just check in on things, you know, I checked in on, oh, what's going on in ufology and exopolitics and as much as I could of the experiencer movement, which I think is really where my focus is but catching up on ufology you know i was struck again with how incredibly patriarchal it is <laughs> and that's a, a complaint it's kind of an old boys network and and i've thought about well it, you know when i on the experiencer side of the box i've heard now so many stories from women who've been through the hybrid breeding whatever this is going on program are being accessed uh, for our genetic material and everything uh you know by now working with you janet i've we've heard a lot of stories i've had a a, a couple of really cool ex, uh, extended conversations with gloria hawker i remember once interviewing eve lorgan from Alien Love Bite, where they in fact do sort of arrange matches in the, you know, there's something not only going on, but it's really, really complex. And I think that one of the reasons why the dominant voices of ufology kind of clamp down on women is because they, this is the story they're most afraid of. This is the one that I think that they squelch with extreme prejudice is how much humanity is being accessed. I don't want to say it's all just women. I know men do too, and I appreciate the men who've come forward who've said they've met their hybrid children or have had experiences. But just, you know, hearing that, you know, if we could get us all together, all of us ladies who've gone through this, sit down at a big, big, big coffee table, you know, and just <laughs> chat it all out, I think that we would just barely be able to look at the extent and variety of all these different ways that they're definitely following some kind of multiple DNA trails, you know. And uh, I've had my own experiences um, along those lines, too. Now, unlike you two, I I am the product of one parent who's Native American Celtic background, another parent who's Native American Celtic background, so that makes me that. 
and all my partners have been Native American and Celtic, and and I know that there's something significant to that because some of these super soldier program people have expressed this concept that there's something to that combo, you know, that kind of boosts the psychic soldier capacity and ESP and all that stuff. So I know that thing is kind of going on just from my own, you know, experiences and kind of looking into it. But uh, I also think religion, uh, I grew up very religious, and it has a tendency to be what I call DNA Petri dishes, because if you can only marry the people in your own religion, that tends to keep kind of a, a family grouping together extensively and intermarrying and continuing some form of a DNA, you know, combo that uh, then you know, they can use to look at all these different traits that humanity has, um, but also based on, you know, the, the fact that, there's, that, that culturally and religiously and politically we're kept, you know, in our communities, marrying our own kind, in our roughly the same geographical area for the most part. Uh, you know, uh, so I think that there, that's part of it is keeping us in DNA like petri dishes so let's what if we try this dna and what if we try that dna and dna encodement i know also has to do with not just um you know your what color eyes you have and what other traits but it also has to do with genetic memory it has to do with tendencies you know epigenetics what are you able to quickly adapt to uh, there's a lot, to, you know, I think if we use, you know, dollars to trade, you know, I think they use DNA code. I think that's a, the big, big study here is uh, all kinds of aspects of DNA. And from what I know of humanity, we've got quite a few of uh, star nation uh, alien races all, you know, in combination here on Earth. So we're kind of a big laboratory in some way. But as it plays out personally, it, it's really – I'm hearing what you guys are saying of who you're partnered with and, uh, you know, children that you have on the planet. And then I've I've come to realize ones that I have off-planet. I finally recalled um, really, really tiny uh, born babies that were, you know, in incubator-type things. And they they were smaller than the smallest preemie. And I'm like, what am I looking at? And I always thought it had to deal with, some other memories that I had because my daughter was born with uh, uh, disability issues. She was born with birth defects, and she had uh, to be in an incubator. But she was giant. She was like a you know eight pound baby. These are these are just the tiniest little things. And I my first inclination is to want to grab them and run away with them and get them out of that situation. And I don't know why. And I didn't really you know they were just these bad dreams you know. And then uh, I worked with Gloria Hawker, and, and she was talking about hybrid babies that she had that were super tiny you could just hold them in your hand and i went oh ding 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 there you go that's what they were having me look at so uh the ironic thing now is uh my uh, current partner and i have an interesting uh combination of life circumstances i have through whatever reasons lost an ovary to an emergency surgery and he lost a testicle so who knows what they're doing with our dna now they're making a whole planet of us now somewhere to kind of joke about it but it's like it's kind of funny you know because it's not a typical thing (laughs) you know people run around and say but it's like yeah okay so they got both of our dna so we've got some kind of either spirit babies or et babies somewhere i think but yeah and i think when when we talk about this it's so great to hear your story Sherry, because I think there's so many women, and I love your benchmarks concept, too, because 
it's like that's kind of how you put the puzzle together. Is like, you remember that time and that thing, and I have like I had a very weird miscarriage that didn't make any sense, but now it makes sense to me. Is that that particular fetus needed to be back wherever it came from, and then uh, I've had such an anomaly of strange things gynecologically that. You know, and especially who I am as a person or how I understand myself, I do actually feel like some kind of weird, you know, Mr. Spock alien presence that has been put in a human body. I'm not real happy about it. But anyway, you know, the whole interaction between us and these other beings is what now makes sense to me looking at all those benchmarks and all. And um, I, I, I like that word. I'm gonna I'm gonna borrow that word if you don't mind. Benchmark, because there's these, otherwise they're just a clump of odd experiences, and you're like, well, what is that? You know. And I think that's the the trail of breadcrumbs that they use. You know, kind of uh, what I call the experience or path to disclosure. It's really a self disclosure. It starts out with. Uh, I, I don't think that disclosure. I don't know if I believe in big D disclosure of the, the president standing up and telling us this is real just because half the people of America won't believe whoever party it is that stands up. But you know, whoever their guy is or gal, uh, they won't. Believe, they'll be only half believe. So I don't think that that is where we're going to get this uh, awareness. I think it's from, you know, uh, I, and I encourage people through whatever means it takes to try to remember. Our, our good friend John Pokes calls it alien anesthesia. They kind of put the whammy on us. And I had one experience where they warned me, look, you got to stay calm or you're going to not remember this very well. And I didn't stay calm. So, you know, they had to put the whammy on me. But it's like to go through your own, like if you're hearing this and something triggers you, I tell the people listening, go through your own benchmarks, you know, and dig into it a little bit. There might be a, a pattern here. The more you hear more experience or stories, that begins to make some sense. So I'm just really enjoying it, you guys. <laughs> well, thank you. I want to I want to add something to what you just said because it's very profound. Is uh, Whitley Stryber said how that he was being trained so he could be in their presence and not go into the freakout, right? And so there's the story of his upstate New York cabin where. He knew they were in the living room downstairs and the bedroom was up in the loft and eventually um, he started to come down the stairs and he would run back into bed. But eventually over time he grew comfortable enough that he would come down into the living room and sit in lotus opposite the uh, the being that was in meditation and they would meditate together. So he says, oh, I have arrived. Now I'm not freaking out. And that was what happened to me when they took me to 100,000 people. And just this last year, I had, a, you know, an alien, gray species variation to stand at my bedside for a long time, and we had this conversation, and I wasn't freaked out at all. I wasn't running. I didn't hide. But, of course, they don't, uh, for some reason, like, my husband doesn't come into the room. He's already up and working in the office down the other side of the house, but he doesn't come in during that whole time. I'm sitting there alone. So I, I'm like, well, you know, come on in so I have a witness to this, but I'm having yeah. this whole experience. Yeah, so uh, so one last thing about the benchmark. So when I went to see, and I'm not going to go into the, the, uh, this show, but the the dragon at the end of time in the underground base at Johnson A. Tall, the, the grays, the ones that were about four or five feet tall, they were the delivery system, right? They picked me up and they returned me. 
but they made sure I didn't forget. <laughs> and when I, um, you know, they did paralyze me, the the alarm went off, and I had to get up and go to work, and I was furious. I said, you didn't make me forget. What's that about? But I, I you know, I, I looked at that over the years, and it's just what you said. It's the benchmark. So mm-hmm. I will. That was like the one that said, oh, yeah, you've had those other things, so now you got to look at it. Back to you, Sherry. Oh, yeah, it's interesting. I've had conversations also with them coming into my bedroom and just sitting by my bed, or he just kind of hovers above my bed. I don't know if he's levitating or what that is, but I just have – I just remember him being like I'm sitting up, and he's like maybe sitting on the bed with me, but my partner is sleeping right next to me, and he's like – floating it seems like them above them but um i always like to think that i'm just conscious and very calm about it but i think they really have me in an altered state is what they do they are able to influence me because i always freak out when i see them at first i just i just do my body responds with fear and i just i can't seem to control that now i've had the draco and i've talked about this before i've had the draco show up at my house numerous times they don't scare me. Now, go figure. I don't know what that's about. I think, was it Barbara Lamb? Somebody told me that it's that the reason she thought was because they, they, they're they so they're more closely related to us or something. But, you know, they're different looking. They're really different looking. But for some reason, I don't get that afraid when I see them. Um, the tall whites, the same thing. It's mostly the when they had that Zeta, that Zeta suit with those big, Maybe it's because when they, I was a little girl, when I was a child, it freaked me out because they would come into my bedroom to get me, and that was always it was pretty traumatizing because they send the little guys in and they're just very robotic and they just come grab you and haul you away, you know, and it's that's kind of that's not easy to get over. So I think that's why I have the fear, <laughs> but but I'm still working on the fear and I'm still telling them, you know, I want to just have a face-to-face conscious meeting with you. I, I, I love it that I can communicate with you and that I can re- have recall and remember things. But I want to have, like, you know, come sit down like, like Whitley did, you know, sit in my living room and I'll, we'll sit down and we'll have a nice conversation. But they keep telling me I'm not ready, and guess I'm not. I have to trust that. So wow. It's, Same it's here. Please just yeah. come and have lunch with us. Oh, me or whatever, yeah. just come and talk to us. Well, we're, we'll create this. We're uh, we're working on some conferences. I've got to do some of the admin stuff and the back end stuff, but uh, we've got to do these experiencer conferences with people. I know because I think that is the real disclosure, mm-hmm. and that I, makes I it agree. up with all the other stuff. It gets lost. It yep. gets lost. I again. agree. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, I think, I think it'd be. I think just I did that experiencers conference, so I didn't get to enjoy it as much as I wanted to because I wasn't doing well, but I I love the experience of the conferences. Those are the ones that make sense to me. Um, I don't think there's much new to be said by anybody investigating the past and uh, picking up remnants of, you know, studying the, the markings left by the ship and, and or trying to find more witnesses to a sighting or whatever. I mean, I think that that's, that's uh, to me, that's pretty dull stuff. I mean, I want to hear about people, the conversations they've had with the ETs they've been with, and what have you learned, you know, the time you spent on the ship, what did you, what did you see and what did you experience? That's where we're going to get the insight into what's really going on with this. Although I think, I think those of us who are part of the hybrid program, we, we have that awareness of what that's all about, which leads to the big picture, which is they're here because of 
humanity's ascension because we're ready to graduate from the 3D school, you know, and that's what they're here to, to assist with all that, I think. And they're here out of curiosity. So it's very interesting times right now on the planet. And I feel I feel bad for those people who either don't believe in this or aren't interested enough to or are too afraid to look at it maybe would be the best way to put it because it's a fascinating subject. There's so much to it, and we've only scratched the surface as far as understanding what's going on with it. So I'm looking forward right. to, to more. And there are the solutions to what ails humanity and the, and the earth. They have right. all the technologies. They have the cures. And that is not only disclosure, but it's it'll take us to a whole other way of being, which is more kind and loving. Whenever I see somebody that I know suffering from a disease or dying, and it's curable, I know it's curable because I'm I'm so connected to the extraterrestrials. There's a part of me that just gets furious. It's like you killed your your lime. <laughs> somebody yeah. is allowing them to die, and I right. think the. He, Humans die at a rate of about 100,000 people a day. 100,000 mm-hmm. people a day die from things that are all curable, and we're all being right. murdered. Technology out, Mr. Right. Powers at me that are listening to this right. show, because right. it's taught. We stop yeah. murdering our human civilians and, well, and you know, our citizens of the world. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's sad. To, it's to the point. I mean, now with the. I mean, talking about forced immunization, you know, and and all that that so much of that is poisoning our children. I mean, they're targeting our children, you know, the 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 whatever you want to call them, the dark forces, the controllers, whatever, you know, they're right. actually targeting our children because our children coming in now are the results of these hybrid programs, and and they're our future. They're the ones who are going to turn the tide on this planet. But they know that the controllers know that, and so they're going after them. And that and people just I don't know it's a crazy world it's just crazy it's 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 just amazing uh, how pe- many people just look the other way or keep their eyes closed or they're just so distracted they they don't see what's right in front of them so it, right. it frust- I have to I have to admit it frustrates me quite a bit but yeah. yeah well I guess maybe I'm in a small niche but I see so many people waking up. <laughs> that, That's good. Uh, every day, I I get excited and feel hopeful, and uh, realize that you know we're reaching critical mass and that this information. I don't think there's any stopping it now. I was talking to uh, what was her name? She made a new movie, uh, Caroline Corey. Oh and yeah. She says yeah. she says yeah. we've got this lower operating system, the Matrix, right? And it seems to be dominating and controlling everything. But above that is a is a higher operating system with its other rules and laws of organization mm-hmm. and structure, and that is overpowering. Like it's like a subroutine the computer, right? So there's a little subroutine routine playing, which is Earth, and the life, mm-hmm. birth, death, reincarnation cycle. But that's panning out and playing out, and it's uh, to me what I've been told or shown is that it'll be like the Berlin Wall. So you're old enough to understand the Berlin Wall. And right. our younger listeners don't get it, but the children of the 50s, of World War II, you know, that generation after, we were raised with the Berlin Wall. We were raised with the concept that the news were coming, uh, drop and get under your your <laughs> your yeah. desks. Under your desk. Like that's really yeah. going to protect us, right? <laughs> I know, I know the, it. The, 
or the fallout sh- fallout shelter shelter in a basement that had windows, you know, like that's gonna right. protect it. But one day, uh, the Berlin so the Berlin Wall kept a huge part of the population behind this wall in communism, forced communism. Uh, we we were perceiving them as being, you know, in a in a kind of a prison within the prison, and we were the free people, yada yada. But one day the wall came down. It was just right. one day. Right. And by the end of the day, it was down. And so right. counseling practice, I had so many people over the last 20, 30 years that said, I was behind the wall. I escaped the wall. I froze out in the streets of London. You know, wow. the, the whole concept of freedom and escaping from one to the other. So um, I think that's what's going to happen with this disclosure. One day, uh, what I got is they're, they're going to show everywhere at once. If it's everywhere at once, you're not going to be able to say, well, that's just your imagination over there in, in Europe or over there in Russia. No, it, they're everywhere at once. You know, everybody would go out of there and see them in disguise. So I said, right. well, bring that on now. We're we're ready. <laughs> but again, yeah. on some yeah. level, we're not. You know. Yeah. Can <sighs> yeah. I uh, break so, in on that? That thought right oh, sure. there. Break there in on I that want to thought. share something yeah. interesting. Yeah. My partner, Brett, was actually in the Army when the Berlin Wall came down, and he was a medic uh, on the on the Czechoslovakian border of the wall, so it actually extended that far. And he said, I said, well, what was it like? Because I remember uh, it was very uncertain time in the news, the whole turmoil about leading up to the Berlin Wall falling was – are we going to be at war, you know, over this? And he said, oh, my gosh. He says we were scrambling, uh, you know, every other day on alert, and we didn't know if it was a drill or if it was the real thing. And then all of a sudden the Berlin Wall fell down. So what was really interesting to me about that was how um, right up to the moment that the wall came down, like some kind of weird switch was thrown that, let's just do this, there was a lot of fear and a lot of, I guess, fear porn, a lot of uh, speculation and fear and uh, military uncertainty and all of that. And I think that's interesting because sometimes, I guess, the the, the darkest before the dawn, you know, right, like right. Uh, as right. I monitored regular news, which I don't recommend to anybody, just saying, but I, as I monitored more regular news uh, kind of in the last month, um, I'm you know, reminding myself uh, this is not reality. You know, it's like this is this is everybody's uncertainty, and we're sort of afraid of uncertainty, which is kind of funny. But uh, a lot of um, so it could be up to that moment when when the interior walls of our you know uh, uh, lack of knowledge and ignorance falls uh, when it comes to that we live in a populated universe, which my guides call. The realization of paradigm galactic or we're not alone in the universe never been alone and we live in a populated universe um up to that moment we might actually be kind of it might be quite stressful in general it might be actually a very dramatic lead up to the thing and and so keep that in mind as we seem to have some uh, ramping up of things that might be just before something really amazing could happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. just remember fear is a relative thing. It's false evidence appearing real. And that, um, you know, of course, if the powers that be are going to lose control, they're definitely going to be uh, banging that drum, you know. But I just thought it was an interesting historical note that he told me about. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Wonderful. 
so your your last you were asking them questions. Um, they said, "Let's see, it is time." I made a note about that. Yeah. Oh, um, I'm writing the book. I'm writing the book. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah, oh, the, yeah, yeah. When you started it, uh, mm-hmm. you would uh, come to and say, "What the hell?" And then, uh, yeah, and wrote the book very. You were using Word. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was I was in Arizona at the time that I was doing that. It was um, it had been um, everything orchestrated and happened very quickly in my life. My life came unraveled. Everything came undone. Went through a huge, big loss on everything during the recession, 2009, 2010, right into there. Lost my, you know my family and my my business and my wealth and lost everything. And so I was in Arizona with my dad. Uh, staying with him uh, my mom had, had died and my brother had died my dad had Alzheimer's and I was down there um, with him and just started writing the book and it was an interesting time because uh, I had a lot of communication and a lot of contact with my guys during that time and I was very aware of it and that's when I, I met my hybrid children I remember I remember asking if I could I was missing my family and feeling real I was feeling alone and, and then I thought of my hybrid children and I said, you know, can I can I be around them for a while? Can I maybe see them? And it picked me up immediately and took me to uh some small planet where there were around sixteen to eighteen of my children were there. And it it was hilarious because I was excited that I was gonna go to see be able to see them and I don't know why I was thinking that I was going to be meeting a bunch of five, six, and seven-year-olds. <laughs> I don't know why I had it in my head. You know, I didn't think about it because when they brought me there, they were sitting, they were all sitting on a two-tier stone, like, wall that was built into the into the side, into a hill. I don't know how to describe it, but it's like kind of like when you go to Ireland a little bit, but, but the, there was like, but it was two-tiered, so it was, stone with grass growing on it, you know, it was real pretty, and it was, and they were, so there was a lower level that um, some of the younger ones were sitting on, and then, and then on the upper one, some others, and the first one that stepped forward was a man who was, like, in his 40s, and I was just, I was shocked, <laughs> I was like, this is my child, and I had to stop, and I, and I was like, oh, yeah, of course, okay, of course I'd be that, I mean, I'm 60 years old or whatever I was at the time, and yeah. they've been harvesting my eggs, yeah. So that was shocking to me, but so there were, um, so they obviously had, you know, had used the, the egg right away. Um, but so I think they were, the youngest one was probably, was probably, mm, gosh, I don't remember, maybe 10 or 11, maybe. Um, but they were all mostly older, young adults, you know, older being in their 40s. So what did, they, what did they look like? Oh, they look, they look radiant. That's what I remember about them. They had bright lights, you know, they had very bright light. They were all very radiant, you know, just a lot of light about them. Very, very pleasant. Did they look like they came from you? They, 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 when I saw, they, they showed me one time a, a hybrid that was my husband's DNA and my DNA, my current husband. Mm-hmm. And uh, they took it. To, so when I met him, I was 43. So I still had about seven, eight years of producing eggs, uh, was still uh, premenopausal menopause and that was one of the first things they did is they showed me my child but they showed it at all ages they they uh 
they I was holding him as an infant, and then next thing I know, he's a toddler, and then he's uh, eventually he's a like you said, a young man, right? And I'm going, mm-hmm. what? How? At time is illusion of this dimension. And so yeah. they were just showing me this child at all ages. But I could I could see, I go, oh, yeah, I could see how that's how our child would look if we ever gave birth to one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got, I could see that's his DNA, and that's his mm-hmm. feature, and that's my feature, and that's how our child would look. Did you, did you see yourself within those children? Not too many of them. Um, there were a few... Um, girls there that I that looked resembled my daughters that I have and so I saw it in them. But the the first one that I met, the man, um, the oldest one that was there, he when I think back on he had dark eyes and dark hair and I was blonde and always blonde and but I he reminded me of my nephew. I have a nephew who looks a lot like he looks. So ah. uh, yeah. So, you know, so it depends on who they matched, you know, who the partner was, it was with. But it was interesting. It reminds me, let me, t- I'll tell you this little side story. I don't think I've uh-huh. shared, I'm, I'm sharing stuff with you that I haven't talked to anybody about. I don't oh, think great. I, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I haven't, I'm pretty sure I haven't said this to anybody. But I have um, a memory of when I got pregnant. They they told me when I had to conceive my, my oldest daughter. The very that night, they said it was important that I conceive her that night, and I remember them being there. And I remember it's in the book how I, you know, my husband came home after writing a final exam or something. And he was exhausted, and I wouldn't let him. I, I wouldn't let him be. I pestered him till till um, we uh, had uh, relations and had had sex, and because I knew I was going to I was going to get pregnant that night. And, uh-huh. um, wow. and I, me- I remember feeling like I was being watched. I, I made him open the curtain or open the blind and I said, there's somebody out there peeking in. I said, there's somebody watching us. I can feel it. Well, it was them, you know, watching us, you know, to make sure. But anyway, I remember them asking me, I, they asked me what sex I wanted my baby to be. And I said, I wanted a girl. I, I got to choose both times and I said, I wanted a girl both times. And they, I remember them asking me, what would you like her to look like? And I said, I get to choose. I get to pick. And they said, within a certain, yeah, you know, fair amount. You, you can. There's a lot. Of, there's some leeway there, and you can choose what she looks like. And so I remember thinking about movie stars and models and that sort of thing. And then I thought, nah. And then I decided there was this girl I went to school with. I'm not going to say her name, but I went to school with this girl. Uh-huh. I always thought I always thought she was so pretty. And um, and I said so. I gave them her name, and I said I want her to to look like. And I gave the name. Well, you know, you know what they they picked me up, and do you know that we went to her house? And um, I had never been to her house. I knew where she lived, but I'd never, I wasn't that close to friends with her. We went to her house and we picked her up. I felt, I just felt terrible about that because we we went in and got her, and um, they took her, and they just took measurements of her face and they did stuff with her, and then they just they put her back. And I felt kind of bad about that, but um, she wasn't traumatized. I don't think. Well, you know, my daughter was born, and she just is almost a spitting image of this this girl. And, oh and she, yeah, and she even has um, this girl had um, in high school. I remember her when she was in the bathroom and she would be in um, combing her hair. Or something. She had a cowlick like right on the front uh-huh. of her, right. And she always cursed that. She's like, oh, I can't do anything with that. You know, it just had a mind of its own. It was a cowlick, you know. And I forgot about that, but I always thought that was cute, you know. And do you know, I mean, my daughter has that same thing. She 
she has that, and she she did the same thing. She's like, oh, I hate this cowlick right in, right on my forehead. You know, I can't have bangs, and I can't have, you know, yes. Yeah, so they, so I got I got that kind of input. I got to do that with, and I thought that was always so interesting. So um, I don't know if anybody else has ever had that experience where they did that, but my guys are really good to me. You know, I mean, they're, they're good to you. They're well, really my, good my to one, me. Yeah. my one uh, girlfriend. Uh, you know, this is, there's other people that are kind of manipulated or you know they're they're directed into having sex with certain people, and so okay. she was a, a full-on adult and she was working for this man, and they wanted her to have sex with this man who was probably not human. She said it was just mm-hmm. I don't know. She described it and she said I, I knew he wasn't human. But he was temporarily her boss, so so she got directed into this job as well. And she's okay. I'll have sex with him, but I want to have, I don't know what she wanted, blue eyes, and I don't know. She mm-hmm. she put like a specific thing. Um, mm-hmm. As long as the kid comes out with this, so she didn't get the whole image, but the kid came out with the the blue eyes that she wanted, yeah. dark yeah. hair and blue eyes, or something. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So so you got what you wanted. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, my, and my daughter, my daughter has blue eyes, and her dad and I have both brown eyes. But yeah, she, she has bright, bright, piercing blue eyes. So yeah, uh-huh. it's, it's, it, I thought that was interesting. I never talked about it. It's one of those little memories I have that I think I pull that out and look at that every now and then. I'm like, did that really happen? But I could, I could go to that house where she grew up, that girl, and I could tell you, I know right where her bedroom is and her house. I, I, I. I remember going there because they took me with them when we went to pick her up. So it was was interesting. I didn't have that with my youngest. My youngest daughter um, was not in the program, and she's not a part of that. But they they did, however, intervene um, because she was born prematurely. Uh, She was born when I was just barely six months along. And so she was not given any chance of survival. Well, they gave her a less than 5% chance of survival. And they said, you don't want to survive. Yeah, and they said you don't want her to survive. You don't want her to survive anyway. She's going to be so, you know, she's going to be so messed up. She's not going to oh. be have a normal life. Well, she survived and she thrived and she's fine. She's, you know, she's got a few, you know, maybe um, uh, she has a fight or flight kind of a thing with her nervous uh-huh. system. Yeah, but other than that, she's fine. She's healthy. They wow. Say she'd be, you know, she'd be deaf. She'd be blind. She'd be disabled. She'd be all kinds of things because she she died at one point um, after uh, she was in the hospital for um, over a month. And um, at one point she did she did die for a while and uh, it took them a long time to revive her. And uh, she was gone too long. But And they told me that because of, if nothing else, because of that, she wouldn't be normal. But she is. I mean, there were lots of miracles she that is. happened. Around that, yeah. So they're very so. supportive of you and your desires, and they're they're mm-hmm. protective, and they wow, that's a, that's oh, very that's much. That's what we're getting from a lot of yeah, people. Very much. They, um, you know, to I talk in the book a little bit about how uh, there came that time when when I was so distraught. They were coming around so much that would have been in the nineteen late nineteen eighties, eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty nine, ninety. Right into there, I had a period of intense activity with them. They were training me for this time, the time, what they call the Great Earth Changes. So they were teaching me things, and they were teaching me about that. And they just spent a lot of time with me. They were coming many, you know, three or four times a week for me. And they were sometimes coming twice a day. 
So I had lots wow. of activity. Yeah, it it was too much. It really was too much. They just about made me. Well, they you know I tried to, I tried to even take myself out, and they went. I took my car, and I was gonna, you know, crash it, and they wouldn't let me do that. And and so finally, after I did that, um, he said to me, Sherry, what can we do to um, help bring you peace or something like that? He asked. What can we do uh-huh. to make this easier? And I said, I feel so alone. And I said, I feel like I'm crazy with all this. And I said, you know, I have this group, this meditative meditation group that they had actually channeled um, this group right. for a, a couple years before I joined the group. They had been, there was a person who channeled and they had channeled the message that I would be joining their group and that they should they should welcome me and they should, you know, help me to understand what was happening. And so they, they were a big support for me. But I asked at that time if they could show themselves to every member of that group. And there were over a dozen people in that group. And um, they did. They showed themselves. They showed everybody in the group except for one person that had a sighting. And so they've shown themselves to some, a lot of my friends. And it just helps me to not feel so isolated with it, you know, and not feel so crazy. So they've been good. Oh, that's wonderful. I wish they would do that more. Yeah, <laughs> Help I know. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. yeah well, we've got about uh, a little bit, about a half hour left, and I wanted to cover what's going on now. I know we, the, we'll go back and do some more of your historical stuff on, on future shows. I like slowing it down. We get a little bit more detail, and uh, thank you for being patient like that and going I mean, there's no rush, right? We're getting right. other aspects right. of the story that won't emerge if we just, because that whole thing that in the beginning where we slowed it down, it's like, oh, wow, I'm glad we slowed it down. We yeah. have all these wonderful details. So, yeah. so yeah. I'd like to look at the last half hour is uh, you said that they tra- were training you for these times. And I've had similar thoughts about these times. And I'll just add this and then I'll pass the talking stick back to you. But one of the things that I've learned from, you know, I'm going to be 64 on my birthday in a couple, in a month, on February 6th, is that these times are changing. It's like timelines. And that mm-hmm. we are the chooser and the apocalyptic timelines are not set in stone. That mm-hmm. we as a chooser can decide which, it's like picking a lane on a big, big, giant freeway which lane do you want to, you know, go down as your road of life? And those who want to go into Apocalypso, oh, that'll be perfect for them because that's what they want on some level or need to experience. However, it, it, at this point, it, it seems like that's not necessary for anyone. Right. But at one point when I was a child and being conditioned by my Religious programming is like, oh yeah, we're all gonna die and have Armageddon mm-hmm. and yeah, it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, back to you. What what are your thoughts about these times? Well, what they told me, they they did spend those years with me, um, a lot a lot of time with them, and and it was a crash course on what they call the Great Earth changes that were coming up, and. I don't have a, a huge amount of information, and I don't have any. I don't think I have any new information. It's, it basically is what it is. That when I volunteered to come on the planet Earth, it was in the year of 1947. I was born in 1950, but I volunteered in 1947, 
because I remember my I remember my pre-birth life, and I trained and I I spent a lot of time around the earth, uh, getting prepared because I had not been in this dense of a form that I that I was aware of anyway, and so it was going to be a new experience for me. At that time, coming onto the planet, the timeline showed that most likely the Earth, she had planet Earth, had decided to take the next opportunity for ascension, which was due to come up around the year 2011, 2012. And she was going to go, as she said, with or without her children. She couldn't wait any longer because she knew that she would be destroyed if, if she didn't. And so that decision had been made, and it was how can we awaken Earth? I mean, it had been this long plan of sending in volunteers, but it really started in earnest in the uh, in around 1949, 1950, after the, the, the atomic bomb was dropped. Uh, so I was one of them that came in along with millions of others, and we came in um, pretty much in waves, kind of the way that Dolores Cannon and um, Susie, um, um, I forget her Hansen. name, Hanson, yeah, talk about, yeah, the way they talk about it. And that's what they told, they told me, too, is that, you know, I I had gotten I had the idea I call I knew that I was a participant in the program and then I um, pretty much started calling myself a volunteer because that just made more sense and right so the frequency on the planet had to come up higher and that's what we endeavored to do and it, the the plan is working it's working quite well and I think that those who have chosen and that's what that's what they trained me and many others for they called it being a light work a light reader so in 1990 it would have been i think or late 1989 they spent time with me teaching me to to look at a person and know where their light um, measurement was basically your frequency and Mm -hmm. they explained that every soul on the planet would be given a chance to make a decision if they wanted to ascend with with um, Mother Earth, or if they would be going to another parallel, or you know whatever re- whatever world resonates with them, another experience on it. But Planet Earth was definitely going to move into the higher frequencies, and I didn't know what any of that meant. It didn't make any sense to me. But when the time came to do this light reading work, what they told me they did is they suspended time for three days and three nights. And and I kind of, now I'm starting to remember it a little bit, um, which is how it works, you know. But the, I remember you would meet with all these different souls. You would meet on a soul level. And the soul mm-hmm. would make the decision because it's going to be what it's going to be. But we met with them back in, I think it was 2009. So we, we still had some years before the actual event occurs, and it's an ongoing event, but before the decision has to be, is locked in, is the way they put it. You have to, at mm-hmm. some point, you have to lock in, and you go wherever you go based on what your residence is. So as I met, it's kind of like we were kind of like counseling them because I would meet with somebody, and I would say, okay, you're, you're, and this was true of so many, so many that I met with, and it was that their frequency was right at the line. They weren't quite there yet. They just weren't there, but they were close. And there were so many of them that were like that. And I would say to them, do you want to make a run for it? And they, and, so many, and many of them, most of them said yes. And what that meant was that they had between 
that date, that time in 2009 when we did this light reading and when the ascension was going to occur, which was, we all thought it was going to be 2012, but it got delayed. And that's so that more of them could, could make the mark. So if they said, yes, we're going to try to make a run for it, we're going to try to awaken, the, the soul would decide, we're going to try to awaken enough and get our frequency up. So I, I would tell them, I tell people, if after the year 2009, if your life went to hell in a handbasket, you know, or you had huge changes in your life, if all of a sudden you got this urge to go on this spiritual path, whatever it is, I call it being poked with a stick because for many of us on the planet, we awaken through pain. And so if your soul, if you did, made the decision to make a run for it so that you could ascend with planet Earth when the time came, odds are that you faced a lot of challenges because that's you know, how we awaken is we're brought to our knees and we're forced to surrender, give up our will, and look and turn inward eventually to look, you know, to look for the answers, to seek, you know, why is this happening? Why, you know, I've tried to live a good life. You know, why am I suffering? Why is this happening to me? And kind of a forced awakening. And that's what so many people are, are dealing with at this time. So when I was first taught about this, I think that the number they told me was 17%. Only 17% of the population was at a frequency where they would be able to ascend with planet Earth at that time, and that would have been like right around 1990. I don't know what the number is now, but it's considerably more. I hope, I believe, I want to believe that it is, because I think a lot of people are awakening. And I think, you know, we had the delay on the awakening, and I think part of it was because uh, the dark forces were fighting back more than what was anticipated, but actually it's okay because it, it gives gives humanity even more time to uh to come into yeah. yeah to wake up, so that's my take on it. Well, Karen worked with the Linkage Institute and A. R. Borden, and a lot of people I will kind of fill that in. I'll let Karen talk about uh, and, and what they did with the the you know the incoming apocalypse timeline we were on coming into 2012, and you know that great decision of where you go mm-hmm. <laughs> that you got trying to bolt to get on board. Um, apparently there was intervention, so this is correlating. Uh, Karen, you know what I'm talking about? Do you want to oh, share? Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. I totally uh, know. Yeah, to well, this is, uh, yeah, just to give you a, just like kind of what's happened is I think uh, there's been a significant change in the people that are working with that information base and energy to where I think it was very, um, like in the early days with Air Borden and the Life Physics Group, it was real, like a think tank of the government, of, of the covert government, um, concerned about Nibiru coming in and, and its effects, <clears throat> concerned about something else called the Animus coming in, uh, which is like an AI type of thing, type of invasion. And I think uh, the, the, the it has connections to other projects. But we uh, lost A.R. Borden to, the, to corporeal existence as we know it in 2013. Um, however, uh, everybody who kind of knew of him or knew him are pretty convinced that he's over, he's not exactly dead in that regard, more like he's in another dimensional. And so I, what I sort of observe for myself and for other people is that this has moved very much into an etheric way and into, uh, you know, each individual person's path. And, and what you were saying, Sherry, was, was so right on. 
Um, and they were looking at what's that tipping point for humanity to be ready. And, uh, uh, you know, even if we were at 3%, it was more hopeful than zero, you know. And right. so I think, uh, yeah, and I think um, um, they're very much working with us at, at a, like a deep level, you know, to where, you know, um, the, the powers that be don't know this, but like, for instance, 9-11 actually catalyzed people to wake up and go, wait, right. what the heck's going on? And mm-hmm. and I know this observationally because I was, uh, I'm a second generation conspiracy theorist. My dad belonged to the John Birch Society, was uh, all about the commies and, but you know, the the Federal Reserve and very much about the monetary system and the political system. But, I mean, I don't know, you know, if you talked about these things in the, you know, at a, <laughs> a casual gathering, you know, people would start to hand you the tinfoil to make your hat, you know. <laughs> I mean, it was very much, um, you know, of course, definitely UFOs and all that, and he didn't get into that and I did. But, um, yeah, it was it was a, a situation where absolutely this is the thing uh, that's, that's I think is is happening is that we you know a lot of people are afraid of the singularity and transhumanism and I've become very excited because um, humans are going to sort of transition themselves it's not right. so much about are we going to add a bunch of AI and we're going to add a bunch which I think is kind of a consciousness too are we going to add a bunch of you know be like the Borg with a bunch of you know attachments you know Swiss army knife people right um, or are, are we going to reach into the human potential? And I think that's part of why the DNA is of great interest at this juncture, because it's really in our DNA is not just the, the two strands that they see under a microscope, but it's actually quite a, quite a bit more to it with energy strands that's activating. And when we have these conversations, we're activating each other, and it's you know up leveling. Um, and I think uh, A.R. Borden started off maybe in his early career more into the, you know, almost even human experimentation or kind of the dark things that were going on. And I think he had a turnabout in his spirit to say, uh, you know, this we've got to spread the news on this. And so he came out from those groups and contacted a bunch of us individually and was trying to share his information. But that was kind of what it was, it was about is – what are we exactly as human beings? Are we just human, you know, just being human? Are are we potentially something so much greater? And it's definitely con- um, connected to Mother Earth, which uh, I've learned to look at the heavenly host, like in the Bible, as all the stars as being consciousnesses and all the planets being consciousnesses that have become, uh, you know, 3D type of, uh, you know, environments for all of these different species to live uh, in and on. Um, and I call uh, Gaia, our Mother Earth, the hostess with the mostest because she's a really amazing being. And, um, yeah, she's you know, it's got to be really heavy to carry the intentions and thoughts of, of beings that actually do harm to all of us, to the environment and to all the other creatures. And, uh, yeah, she's ready to go. The delay is very interesting to me because I was picking that up too, Sherry, that 2012 mm-hmm. was was a very pivotal year, but it definitely right. we weren't quite there. I, I, I don't think I was. And 2009 was a big year for me. That's when I started doing extensive um, 
automatic writing to be trained. You know, they were training me about now. You know, I didn't understand most of it until now I see what they're talking about, about, um, you know, these times and these days. And I know so many people have that sense of mission. And, man, I had a sense of mission when I was five, you know, uh, when I came in. And so I think... You're you're right on. I think that's cool that you can like work with people and communicate, you know, for them to up level their energy because um and, and the hell in the handbasket thing, oh totally. I, I that two thousand nine like I had a hard road the whole time because I was a family caregiver, but boy, two thousand nine was like, Oh man and when they took me on one uh abduction, basically part of the reason why I, I had a hard time remembering it was I pitched a fit like a two year old. I said, Do not send me back. I do not want to go back. Uh, <laughs> you know, I sort of visioned myself like throwing myself on the floor and crying and I mean it was awful. Because mm-hmm. I was in a yeah. really bad situation. But, yeah. you know, I told them and they and they did that to me too. What do you need to be happy and to make it through the mission and they, um, I needed to be with a partner and have a stable home life. That was really important for me. And so I have that now, and I'm shocked, you know. Um, but, I mean, you know, it's just made me galvanize towards the mission. It's raised my energy level up to now also have a community, you know, that I can have people that I can talk to. I hope that's happening for more and more people because we have been isolated, so many of us. Right. Right. And we're finding each other. And that's a that's going to accelerate everything. So I just want to tell you, I have so enjoyed hearing your story. It's just got me going. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> yeah. Super, super. Yeah. So we're running out of time. I want to give you most of the remaining time. I just want to add that one of the things that I was aware of about this AR board is they, they did a time experiment. This is many different species. It was the Anunnaki. He was in touch with the Anunnaki. And they had these ongoing meetings. I don't know if it was once a year or once every quarter or whatever. But uh, and but there was a um, the meeting minutes that I got a hold of. And it, it said who were the beings that were there. And even some particular ones like, uh, you know, Enki, Enbil, that type of thing. And they made a decision to blink us in and out of time space so that the Nibiru would not have uh, that effect of, you know, the, the, um, the uh, what do you call it, the shift, right? Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. was, uh, so they, they actually did. So it's, it's fascinating to read these minutes. Uh, so I'll try to put the link on the website for the day show. But they blinked us in and out and they, they created this alternative uh, which we're experiencing now, but people are still seeing the Nibiru, but it's like it's going out. It no longer has an effect on us. It's going outbound because they shifted the timeline. So oh, is that right? Anyway, okay. yeah, that's so people go, what are you doing? What are you going to do? It's like, no, no, it's already been changed. According to this uh, meeting that happened in uh, 2011, before 2012, they made the decision, and so when uh, you know the right time when it came through at a certain point, they just went. Boop, boop, and uh, we well, went away and, oh, and it happened yeah, and we're back. When was, that me- when was that meeting? Because I, I, a friend of mine and I got picked up in November, early November. I think it was like November 7th or somewhere into there. A big ship came up the valley and picked us up. And we were on the ship for about 90 minutes. And there was a big meeting. I know that much. Um, I remember consciously going onto the ship and having to go through um, – uh, a sanitizing process, which I'd never had to do that before. They put me through some chamber where, where they um, 
And I was like, I was kind of indignant about like, what's that all about? You know, I'm not a bug. And they said, oh, but they said, but your planet is so toxic now and so poisonous that we we have to we have to um, sanitize you before you can come on the ship. And I was like, oh my god. So, but we had a meeting on there, and you know that I cannot. And I went to even talk to um, Bashar because I was uh-huh. I needed to I needed to find out because I was so depressed after that meeting on the ship. All I remember is sitting at a council. And there being every different species you can imagine on the ship, and we sat in a in a semicircle, like a half circle, all of us did, and we and we talked, and we had to, and and we communicated through some kind of a device or something, and there was a discussion about it, and I remember something about um, the ascension being um, delayed, and there was the, they used the word um, hijack. They said that we can't let the we can't let the the ascension be hijacked like you know like it has in the past, and so these are the measures we're going to take, and it's going to be delayed. And I was so depressed about it afterwards, but I want I wanted to get more details about it. It almost sounds like the meeting that you're talking about, right? So I, and, I, and I think they they had a, they had the the one meeting we had was January of uh, early in the year, but they you know so they they had this agenda and they they didn't know it was going to work or not. They just mm-hmm. didn't know, but they didn't want us to right. go through the apocalypse and the total you know, disintegration of the of the structure because this is high civilization. I mean, we have right. a lot right. of, of very good things here, and it wasn't time. Most people weren't ready. But uh, what you were saying, um, I think what they needed was all the, uh, the people that were trained to come together for this, you know, the subsequent meetings because that was uh, November, so. Uh, oh, yeah, by yeah. December 2012, they yeah. actually did the experiment. So that makes okay. sense that you were born yeah. for that meeting, and you're there because you're one of the trained people, and you're very you're trained because you're very psychic and intuitive, and they wanted to pull all that together that energy together to make it happen to a, a positive outcome. So yeah. I think you were just yeah. part of that experiment. So sorry you felt depressed, but. Um, I've I've, I've had people approach us. Yes, or what? I I actually know a lot about this story, but you and I have never really gotten into it It, because it was uh, connected with uh, Michael Lee Hill and other people who we've come out with it, you know, but I haven't told you, like, sometimes we have to have another discussion where I go into at least a part of the experiment I and some others were involved in, and, and then what happened the contact and visualization that happened to me during the process. You, you, we haven't really gone in deep with that just for different reasons. Maybe it's time now. I don't know. But let's do that sometime. I think it is. Okay, well, so we're this is what we're doing. We're piecing together our, our parts, uh, and we are going to run out. We've got like 10 minutes left, so I don't want to go into it extensively. But, yeah, we had, we had a gentleman approach us, and they wanted to uh, pull together all these uh, people like ourselves that are very psychic intuitive and and uh, they were going to take out Saddam Hussein this was back in 1998 or something like that and my husband said no I'm not going to kill anybody so no you can't use me but uh, we, we know that they sometimes come together and they try to get us and we are dispersed all over the planet but they can literally come to your door and they'll say oh your friend Joe sent me right so you open the door mm-hmm. you go yeah what's up but it's really this this higher level organization that exists around the planet, and we're all connected. Right. Uh, so when I walked on Johnson Atoll in 1990, 
um, December of 95, this guy came over to me and said, welcome to a joint UFO, uh, ET, uh, United States military base. And I went, what? <laughs> really? So they knew who uh, I was. They, they knew. Yeah. They, we're in a database somewhere. They know who we are. And, I know. Uh, I know. Yeah. So, Wow. Well, Karen, we'll plan that. We'll book, and you're welcome to come back, Sherry, and you can we can uh, reveal some of the the stuff that A.R. Borden and Linkage Institute was doing, uh, and then now he's kind of uh, either dead or in a different uh, dimension or something, mm-hmm. uh, not able to actively apart. But he was walking, and a lot of people have met this mysterious A.R. Borden, which is kind of like what Corey Good is saying, that there are these ongoing meetings that are happening and I've been right. in many meetings, and there's humans in ETs, and so have you. So we right. could do a whole right. show on people that have been to these meetings. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so interesting, isn't it? it? It just is. It's so interesting. And and for me, I'm, I remember, you know, it, the, my memory is starting to piece together little pieces, and it, it's just coming to the surface more and more. So I'm I'm finding it all very fascinating. It's bigger than what I thought. It was I never expected it to become this you know when i first learned about my abduction experiences which i don't like to call them that but you know little by little you you know you realize oh i'm part of the hybrid program what does that mean and then pretty soon you realize oh i'm part of the you know the workers the light workers for the ascension oh what does that mean and it's just it's fascinating you know it's just very fascinating it's not it's not been a dull life by any means but it's been a strange <laughs> life it's it's weird to live a life where you have this whole other thing going on and you only have bits and pieces of it, and you you know try to put it together as best you can. So fascinating. Yeah, so fascinating. How, so how do you? Um, oh shoot, sorry. How do you handle that? Do you have a support system now in your life? Do you um, have people that you can talk to? I don't really have the need to talk too much. The little bit that I do talk, I talk to. Um, my partner Jim, because he was he was totally didn't know anything about any of this. He was very innocent, but he they acclimated him to it is the way they put it. He had his own encounters and he had his own experiences after he met me. We've been together five and a half years, and we were just oh, talking. Yeah, we've been talking. We were talking last week or two weeks ago about how you know we haven't seen anybody around. We haven't had anybody any visitors or anything for a while. We haven't had much happening, which is good. It's good because the last, the last stuff that I had happen was not so positive, but it's still, you know, it's, it, you know, we kind of miss having the activity around the house and I'm not <laughs> sure, you know, I don't know if they're busy with other stuff, but we, we, we haven't even seen a UFO even, you know, I mean, we had, just haven't had anything happen for a while. So we're kind of feeling left out of the loop a little bit, <laughs> kind of ignored. Okay, so. guys, <laughs> go visit Sherry. Come and say it's, hi. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. But, yeah, it's been quiet. It's been quiet lately. And maybe it's just because I've, you know, I've, I just need the downtime. I need to recover. I mean, they've been coming in and working on my body and doing some healing stuff and all that, which I'm very appreciative of. But as far as any anything huge other than that happening there's it's been pretty quiet but it's wow interesting i'm sure they'll come see you now that you've asked them to <laughs> yeah so be yeah. be prepared i get i get uh, a whole level of contact now i go to other planets it appears like i have a nighttime job 
Oh, no, we're going to run out in just a few minutes here. But anyway, we'll go into that in the future. <laughs> People have simultaneous lives. So I have this other life I go to, and I, I go to these cities, and I, I know those cities like I know, you know, my hometown here. And, and I go, oh, yeah, here's where I work, and here's where I live. And, and uh, <laughs> it's just really wow. weird. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it's on ship, and, and uh, I, there's uh, Elizabeth April. She goes, yeah, when I'm on ship, I'm the commander. When I'm here, I'm just a little girl. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> we wow. have all these different roles in our, our simultaneous lives. So, okay, so we have just a couple of minutes, and I would like you to tell people about your book and your websites and uh, all that good stuff. Okay. Well, the book is The Forgotten Promise. The Forgotten Promise, and uh, the website, my poor neglected website, I put it up and I never touched it after <laughs> since. But it's, um, <laughs> but I do, I do have a blog. I'm going to try to um, get more active on my blog. But um, it's theforgottenpromise.net, and uh, you can either correspond with me through that or um, read the blog or order a book. But the book's available on Amazon or through on Kindle or Barnes and Noble, any place um, books are sold. So. That's it in a nutshell. And I'm on Facebook, of course, too. So Wonderful. Are you going to be presenting this year at any uh, workshops or conferences? I don't know. I, I felt so terrible backing out of contact at the last minute. I did it like two weeks, and I was so sure I was going to get strong and be able to go. I don't know. Um, my health is definitely better, but I, I'm just feeling like I might need some downtime. I, I'm just not sure yet. I haven't accepted okay. anything. Yeah, I know. I play it by you. <laughs> well, I've been asked to go to Australia, and I'd, I'd I'd love to do that and do a tour over there. So maybe maybe that's where I'll go. But you I don't do know. That. Yeah. We'll see. Where Where are you living? Not to give your your street address. What part of the world are you in right now? Right now, I'm in um, down in the Tucson area in Arizona. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll create something close by, so it wouldn't be so hard <laughs> for you to to come and, and poke your head in. Yeah, well, I'll be going I back would to, love I'll, to see you again. Just yeah, go ahead. yeah I'll, I'll be going back to Wisconsin, you know, before spring, but I'm down here oh. for, for part of the winter. Yeah, yeah, I was directed to come down here. I mean, that's an interesting story, too. I was told very forcefully to come down here. I'm waiting to see why. I think it's just for my healing. It's been good for my healing. So, yeah, yeah. I was I was sent down here, and they even they came up with a pretty interesting way to get me the money so I was able to do it, take off, because I work full-time, I have two full-time jobs I work, or try to work, but, um, uh-huh. yeah, so I'm down here, yeah, for a few months, and it's, it's really good, I'm just being lazy, it feels good to do that. Good so. to be lazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to thank you, uh, Sherry, so much for coming on today's show, and Karen, thank you for coming, and uh hanging out with us and helping us all connect the pieces of this giant puzzle. Um, yeah. Eventually we'll get the whole thing together where we go, oh, my God, look at that. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. I enjoyed that. That was, that was not your I typical talk. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, I like to do unusual talk. So we will have you back again, and I'm yep. going to um, play our exit music because we're running out of time. So yep. thank you so much, everybody, and much love and blessings and aloha. Thank you.